So if you have gold, silver, watches, art, cryptos, businesses, real estate, diamonds, yada, yada, and you're discreet about where they are placed and how you control those, and you don't go on social media doing lives, goading the system, you're probably going to be all right. All right, welcome to another episode of Life Talk. I am so excited today because it's been two years that Rob Moore, who's in front of me right now, said, Jesse, I'm going to come see you. And I, I like, I'm, he's here right now. You know, we've done, I think, two podcasts. We've done a couple of lives. Mm. It's been a long time. You didn't even know I moved to Marbella. You nah. didn't even know my office was here. You didn't even know I had an agency here. No, I was here and you just messaged me out of the blue going, bro, you're in Marbella. Why are we meeting up? I'm like, yeah, Luke mentioned it. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. And you didn't even know. No, no. So, um, but again, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, very good to see you. Um, you don't really need an introduction. I mean, we, we've done, we've done, um, for people listening as well, we've done a couple lives, we've done a couple podcasts and the last one was two years ago. I listened back to it and there was so much value in it that I think for the people that haven't listened to it, please listen to that one first, because I want to elaborate on some topics from it. And back then it was the clubhouse time, which yeah. is so the time that we met mm. and um, I want to ask you, how have you been and how are you now? Yeah, good. So the last three years has been an absolute whirlwind. Um, you know, 2020 BC before COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you could really take life for granted. And one thing that COVID taught me was you cannot take life for granted. You must not take life for granted. You know, we were rolling, business was good. At the time, I think we had nearly 150 staff, of which 105 of them were in the office. And little did we know that our entire um, world was going to be shaken upside down, that we were going to have to go and hide in the kitchen with a laptop with everyone's name and say, right, we've got to fire them, we've got to fire them, we've got to fire them. Yeah, but they've got a family. They've just had a baby. They've just got a mortgage. Now we need to let them go. We need to let them go. And it was an insane time. Um, and a, a mentor of mine, Dr. John Martini, he believes that wisdom is in simultaneously seeing the equal upsides and downsides in any situation. And when that kicked off, it was very difficult to see any upsides. You know, we were being locked away. I really felt like we were being fed propaganda. I really did, like early on. I mean, you know, the first few weeks, fair play. You know, you never know, do you? But it became pretty apparent that th th this was not right. And I was angry. And, you know, make someone angry and caged, and that's not a good recipe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my ability to trade and run a business was made illegal and taken away from me. And I was shouting and screaming then that this is going to last 10 years. And if you think we're out of this, and if you think that you're not going to be paying for this for the next 10 years, you need to wake up. Um, but we navigated that. We turned the business around. Business is brilliant now. We're, we're, we're on for between 22 and 25 million in sales in our training business. Um, our real estate portfolio, we had two developments, probably 210 tenants. I have the stats actually uh, in front of me here. So 
I remember two years ago, it was 990 properties, 140 developments you were involved in. So not, it would be 990 tenants. Tenants. Uh, yeah. And 140 units we were developing. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, back when we talked, that would have been up in the air. Yeah. Because, you know, if the government said, right, you've got it down tools, you're not allowed to build, we'd still have to pay our bank back hundreds of thousands of pounds a month, wouldn't we? They're not going to go, oh, have a holiday, don't worry about it. But thankfully, we were able to build through. We developed those. They're all done. Um, and, yeah, now I'm here in Marbella. Um, I, I had a um, – someone challenged me to a fight online, and I trained for six months, and I fought someone 20 kilos heavier than me, and it was a great experience. And I'm here now just, you know, taking a bit of a breather, setting my next challenge. I'm writing my book at the moment, Money Matrix. So – you know, there's a lot to be, a lot can happen in two years. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Let's start at the fight. You, you, so you finished the fight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've never fought before. Yeah. Um, and someone on a podcast called me out for a fight. He said, oh, you reckon you can challenge me for a fight? Let's do this. And at the time, he was about 118 kilos and I was 88 so, you know, I'm giving away a lot. You know, that's five, six weight divisions in boxing. It's not the done thing. But I was like, you know what? If you're not careful, life can get comfortable. And if you're not careful, you can wake up and you're like, shit, I'm 50. Where did the last 30 years go? And so I've always felt it really important to shake, disrupt your own life. Otherwise, someone's going to disrupt it for you. So I thought, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do this. Um, I was a bit naive, if I'm honest. He negotiated really well. He got all the chips in his favor. You know, he got no head guard, 12-ounce gloves, small rings, three rounds. You know, he got everything he wanted like a spoiled child. I just wanted to get it done. And, yeah, I got in the ring with him and I banged. Everyone thought I'd just sort of jab away and run away from him for three rounds. But, no, I went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a tank. <laughs> and, look, it was, it was really close, really close. Uh, there was a, a very suspect lockdown, which meant I lost the first round 10A. It wasn't really. But they have to be safe in white collar. I get it. And, and I lost on points. But the only thing I lost was the fight. Everything else, the reputation. We raised 250 grand for charity. We filled the venue with 1,750 people. We entertained the fuck out of them. They, they, everyone loved it. So, you know, I won in every area, but I lost in the fight. Wow. No regrets, man. Oh, I mean, that, that, that's, that's beautiful, man. So that, that's quite popular now, right? People challenging each other. and I, I Yeah, look at Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, that's happening now as well. <laughs> yeah, it's like if there's any beef, right, let's just fight. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously this was popularized by the Paul brothers. Um, and it's never been done in our industry. You know, you could say, oh, everyone's doing it, but not everyone's doing it. Um, but, you know, no, no one in, in our property investing industry had ever done anything like this. Um, and, and, you know, my opponent made a good adversary. He, he's like the panto villain. You know, he played really good, the villain. He's great at the shit talk. Yeah. He, he came out and he was trolling and he was goading me. And when we were fighting, he was, you know, talking to me. And he's, oh, you got a bitch and all this. And, and, and he actually made for a really good show. You know, life's short and it's too short to hate people. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, is the beef real? Yeah, the beef was real. But, you know, we hugged, we shook hands, we raised a quarter of a million quid. And maybe we'll do it again sometime. But next time we do it, we do it on my terms. We do it long rounds, my, yeah. my weight. Like, I thought someone five weight divisions above me. You know, and apparently that's stupid. <laughs> apparently that, you know, that gave them a big advantage. But, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot can happen. I love it, man. So, so after, like, like Clubhouse, like, you, you were... When, 
I mean, remember when we were on there, we had a lot of conversations like off Clubhouse where you asked me a lot about the crypto and the NFTs that you were starting. Mm. How, like, did you continue that? Did you did you yeah. actually end up doing that? Yeah, so I launched my own series of NFTs. I made 26 NFTs only. Um, and they were anywhere from 9,000 to 25,000 pounds. Um, as an entrepreneur, yeah. uh, I've seen trends come and go. And, you know, NFTs look like it could be huge or it could be over. Yeah. So for me, it was really important not to just sell a digital picture of an animal for, you know, tens of thousands of pounds, but to actually have intrinsic value. So what I did was, uh, yeah, there was a physical piece of art. Yeah, there was the NFT image. But there was a, 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 my plan is to, uh, to give people a lifetime of unlockable bonuses and benefits so that, you know, what they pay is a, a small investment that they get a return on. So, yeah, I, I launched my NFTs. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's important to um, do what you say you're going to do. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that have got a lot of chat, but, but not a lot of substance. So, um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur now for nearly 20 years and I've seen a lot of people come and go. And yeah, you know, if you want to stay in the game for a long time, you can talk a good game, but you've got to deliver. And we had a lot of conversations about crypto and I yeah. always said, said, Jesse, I want to, I want to call you, I want to reach out to you, I want to learn about it. You were in crypto way before me. And, and I think when we had those conversations, like there was a lot that I could learn from you, especially when I started, when I first started getting into property and real estate, mm. I learned a lot from you. You were disruptive in the UK as, as like nobody else. And then we had these conversations and you asked me like about crypto and you, you even said like, I could have 10 X my net worth mm. if I would have gone into Bitcoin, if I would have gone into this earlier. Yeah. And you, you understood very clearly like, Hey, we need to humble ourselves and really understand that when there's people in our circle that are adapting early in certain uh, projects or crypto or investments, that we need to sit back and listen and see what we can take from that. And I really love that you always did that. Um, as somebody who's already like had made his millions and, and still like sit down and listen. Like, and, and even last week, um, I sat with, uh, with one of my friends here in, um, in, um, Puerto Bonus, he's a billionaire. And when I always sit with him, I listen and I, 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 I'm truly inspired by the lessons that he has been given and now is giving to me. And I think that's always a very important approach that I always admired in you. And you always explained that even in our previous podcast, listening to it before, you said, nah, I gotta, I gotta sit and listen. And, mm. and you've been in this crypto game before. Have you actually, and this is my question to you, implemented some of the things we talked about? Have you allocated some of your fiat currency into cryptocurrencies? Yeah, so this is a really um, pertinent time to discuss this because I'm currently about halfway through my new book, which is called Money Matrix. Um, I've written 18 books um, and I'm more now specializing in the subject of money. Yeah. Um, and we're going through, I think we're on the edge of a revolution. You know, this talk of a digital central currency, which I would absolutely resist. I would resist at all co costs of central digital currencies. So on the one hand, you've got the government's happening in China. Is it, is it like where you have it all like? Well, I mean, l l let's wait and see. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about it. 
And for me, that that ends badly for, for most of society. So you've got this sort of struggle and this revolution between centralization and globalization and then decentralization and a fight for freedom. So a central digital currency would be a move towards centralization. And Bitcoin and other cryptos are a move away from centralization towards decentralization. And generally, you anarchists and people who believe in autonomy and freedom are the people that start these independent currencies. Um, so we're at a, a really disruptive time where you're going to look back and you're going to go, shit, do you remember 2020? You know, do you remember 2023? Now, so there's a lot of emotion. Yeah. The problem with emotion is it makes you do stupid things. You, you know, I had dinner with someone in Marbella, actually, the last time I was here. And he said, I've got 100% of my net worth in crypto. And actually, it's in one cryptocurrency. I, I think there was me. It definitely, it's not you. It's not you. But I, I, mean, I mean, that is is hex the currency is oh, yeah yes yeah. and and honestly i know what you're talking that's about. fucking kamikaze to do that it is kamikaze to have all of your wealth in one platform one bank one asset what if you had all your wealth in ftx and then bang <laughs> sam bankman fried goes and yeah. you know spends it all so i i i, I think that if you want to be successful You've got to know what you know and know what you don't know in a very self-honest way. Because a lot of people, they're either too humble, i.e. they think they know, know nothing when they actually do know something, or they're too arrogant when they think they know more than yeah. they do. And if you can be self-honest and go, do you know what? I'm good at that. I'm not good at that. It's okay. You know, I'm, I'm not arrogant by saying I'm good at that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not useless by saying I'm shit at that. So, you know, I, I know much more about traditional assets. I'm older. I'm 44. I know much more about traditional assets than I do these new disruptive assets. So I'll go and find people who, who know about these more disruptive assets. The problem when you've got new assets and new disruptions is you've got people who know a bit and they're fucking dangerous. You know, you've got 19 and 21 year old kids becoming hundred millionaires and billionaires in crypto. And you know, it's like these kids who go around on podcasts who are 21 years old giving dating advice. Like if, if you want relationship advice, speak to a couple who are 80 years old. You know, speak to a couple who've been through it. Like a 21-year-old does not know shit about, you know, holding down a long-term relationship, but people think they do. So there's all this shit you've got to filter to work out where the truth is. So um, if you want to build vast and lasting wealth, there are some fundamental rules. Then there are stages to it. You know, you need to be able to make it. Once you've made it, you need to be able to manage it. Once you manage it, you need to be able to multiply it. And then once you've been able to multiply it, you need to be able to maintain it, insure it. So making it is getting into new business models, new asset classes of which, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Hex, NFTs, you know, all of these is one of them. But that's only one stage because anyone can make a million and lose a million. So since all these new cryptos came about, um, I did invest a bit more into Bitcoin um, and I did diversify into, let's say, about three other cryptos, Ethereum, Hex, 
and then a couple of more speculative, what you might call shy coins. Um, but understood that at my stage in life and my risk threshold, it should never really be more than 5%. And, you know, you can only go big in a, a volatile asset class if you are young and you have time to yep. recover from financial losses. So, you know, something else I've learned. So, um, you know, my investing strategy is quite simple. It's buy, hold, die. And I've never really regretted missing opportunity because there's always new opportunity. But the one thing I've nearly always regretted is selling. You, you know, so I bought in a Bitcoin at five, I think, thousand. I think I sold at 15,000. I actually sold a lot of my Bitcoin in um, in the lockdown because of, you know, the fear was palpable and I was feeling everyone else's fear. I've got a significant watch collection. And I, for example, I had a Patek Philippe. I paid 25 for it. I sold 35 for it. It peaked at 150 um, in the lockdown. Uh, Richard Meal, I bought for 75. I sold for 85. They're 180 now. So most of my bad investments are selling because, you know, when you sell, you pay tax, you lose the, the long-term benefit. So, you know, I think if your goal is to build wealth, you need to know what your risk threshold is. You need to have a strategy uh, and you need to diversify. And importantly, in the times that we're in, I think it's really important that you have some decentralized asset classes. So what people love about Bitcoin is it's decentralized. It's unmanipulatable, unfuckwithable, you know, but from the government. You can't intervene in it. You can't hack it. You can't break it. You can't control it. You can't inflate it. You can't steal it. You know, and that's why people love, those that love Bitcoin, that's why they love Bitcoin. Yeah, gold, watches are, are very much like that. They're physical. They're real. Real estate in the Western world is like that. You know, you have good ownership rights in, in the Western world. I mean, not in... You own, you own businesses or real estate in China, you get too good, they'll take it off you. But not in the Western world. You know, there'd, there'd be a revolution. Is it really? Yeah, they're, they're, I think if, if the system, the, the, the government, this, the matrix, if you will, um, wants to take your assets, they will take This them. is why you need to be diversified. Exactly. So, but, but, the, but the idea that real estate is, is a hard asset that they can take oh, it's, it's step, uh, Well, like, and that's why, like, uh, uh, I don't know if you uh, know Luke Belmar. We we had a conversation about why he doesn't invest in real estate, and he clearly said, "Well, because what you think is yours is not really yours. It is a lie. It is yours." <laughs> same, same, similar to the analogy for women. It is just short term. You know, I I had um, especially with with. The, the the success that was was growing in my early twenties, or my my following, my status, or whatever you want to call it, and the influence I had, I saw that the amount of married women and the amount of women that in general that reach out and that were like in a relationship was concerning. And I think the more powerful you become, or as in as they're in a relationship and they're reaching out. You had a podcast with Andrew, right? Yeah, D didn't he said like he always asks where sees one of my friends in, in the UK. He had a safe where he had a ledger with his Bitcoin on it. The government, the, the police literally took it. Like they had it in his safe. And uh, unfortunately, his, his private keys, everything was, were, was in the safe. 
but it just goes to show you that most of the assets that we think are assets are not really ours. Yeah, I mean, I agree to a point. I think context is really important. If you live in um, a developing state in Africa, yeah, someone can just come and murder your tribe and rape your wives and take all your loot. They can. But there are some civilizations that are um, more civilized than that. And I think if you're not careful, you can become so skeptical of everything that, that you end up taking undue risks or end up... Yeah, so in the UK, property ownership rights, you, you know, technically you could argue, you know, that, that the king owns all the land mm -hmm. and the property. Technically, you could argue that. But if the king were to recall all the land and the gold and you were to own nothing and be happy, immediately they would be murdered. There would be riots and a revolution. So that's not going to happen. You know, money and assets are built on trust. And currencies and any kind of asset is only worth anything while there is trust. And once that trust is gone, it is worth nothing. Um, so, you know, many societies and empires would break and would crumble if these extremities came into play. So, but it's happening. Well, it depends, but it depends where you are. It it's not happening in the UK. Oh, I know, but it happened to my friend. It's, it's happening in, in, in the US. No one, no one I know in the UK if he's having their real estate confiscated from them. I mean, it's ma ma race system. If you, if you go against the system and, and, and the, 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 the police will come. And, and again, if, but I, I think it if depends. If you've allegedly been accused of some criminal activity, true or false, they will come and seize it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, in extreme cases. Andrew Tate, Nigel Farage, people who are publicizing pedophile rings or whatever. You, you know, if you are, are, are that well-known and become that powerful, these things do happen. They're not uncommon. But there's a way to build wealth and not expose yourself to that risk. And I believe that is decentralization, which means you spread your wealth across as many assets as you can, and ideally, most of which you control. So, so in some ways, we're coming to the same discussion point. Yeah. So if you have gold, silver, watches, art, cryptos, businesses, real estate, diamonds, yada, yada, and you're discreet about where they are placed and how you control those, and you don't go on social media doing lives, goading the system, you're probably going to be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because these people, you know, who are essentially attacked or confiscated of their wealth, I believe they've probably had some warnings. You know, if you think about, imagine you're Andrew Tate and you figured out how to go viral on social media, which is to make very controversial statements and polarize people. I imagine you do that and you get warned. 
I mean, he got he got banned. Well, there you go. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the shadow bannings, the cancelling. You know, there's probably an email that comes somewhere. There's probably a like, yeah, you're getting too big, motherfucker. You need to be. You need to shut up. Yeah. And it's very difficult, I believe. To st- how do you know where the line is until you've crossed it? And I imagine if you're gaining vast wealth and success and notoriety by being controversial and divisive, how do you stop? That becomes an addiction. Well, you know where the line is. When you are wrongfully imprisoned, if he is wrongfully imprisoned. So, you know, look, it depends on your goals. But um, there are ways to ensure and protect your wealth. You know, have multiple passports. Be as decentralized as you can across multiple assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this, 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 this is what I'm writing about in my book. It's all what all my book is about, Money Matrix. There's probably a dozen viable assets. So why risk and expose yourself? You know, I buy classic cars. I buy art. You could buy wine. I buy watches. I buy gold. I buy silver. Anything I can put my money in that is safe, secure, and discreet, I'm going to. And the more, like I think, for example, putting your money in FTSE 100 or, um, you know, the Dow Jones, I believe that's much safer than having it in the bank. Because in the FTSE 100, it's diversified across 100 companies. In the bank, it's in one, one company, Barclays. And, um, you know, when Andrew Tate got cancelled, he told me that um, his bank accounts were seized, 11 million were seized, and he had to basically reveal everything, including his inside leg measurement, if he wanted to get his money back. And he said he wasn't able to do that. And he had to write off $11 million. That's what he said to me. If he had a million dollars in 11 bank accounts, or if he had, you know, a million dollars in a bank account, but $10 million in other asset classes, he wouldn't have been as exposed. That brings me actually, I, w- I wanted to talk about real estate for a second, but before I forget, um, as, as a, I saw a viral clip of you where you interviewed, I forgot the name, and you were talking about interviewing certain guests and spending, like you asked the guest, you said, would you spend 20K? <laughs> so my producer, my producer, Harry, he's like, Rob, you've yeah. got to stop talking about this. But fuck it, let's go there. What's, what's the question? So, so the, the question is like, um, you, you, by the way, I got a lot of hate for that. You got a lot of hate? I got a lot of hate for saying. So basically, I was being interviewed yeah. by someone who, I, he's my friend, I like him, yeah. but I didn't believe what he was saying. And that's okay. We can have discourse and he's, not hate each other. Said, but basically, I said, who's your top guest? Who's your go-to yeah. guest? Who would you love to have on your show? And he said either Conor McGregor or Joe Rogan. And I said, as an entrepreneur, would you pay 20 grand to have them? And he's like, no way. I'd only want to do it if, if it was free. And I said, bullshit. I said, what kind of entrepreneur are you? Like, would I pay Joe Rogan 50 grand to have him on my show? It's fucking done. Joe, if you're listening, I've got 50 on the table. Let's go. Why? Plus a big box of chocolate. Plus a box of chocolates. Why? Because life is short and meeting cool people is amazing. And I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a commercial guy and I want to get the most out of life and I'm, I love meeting amazing people. Now, would I love to interview Joe Rogan for free? Yeah. Would I love to never pay a guest? Yeah. But we're in a world right now where there's a select few people who are paying fucking big money to have guests on their show. So anytime you reach out to anyone now, they're like, oh, what's the fee? And, you know, some people want... Conor McGregor wants half a mil. And I know people who want 25 bags, 25 grand. Yeah. And then they're no one. And it's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? But Harry's like, stop talking about this. 
because if everyone knows you pay, everyone will charge you a fee. So just for the avoidance of doubt, yeah. for, for about 90% of my guests, I don't pay them and they don't want a fee because we want to have good, meaningful discourse that makes a difference. But if I'm faced with a commercial decision where I can pay someone and either get someone I wouldn't be able to get or get them quicker than I... So you know when Andrew came out of prison? I know. Yeah. Patrick bet yeah. David got him first. Yeah. Would I have laid down 25 to get him first? Damn straight. And Andrew, if you're listening, you know, we need to do more business together. But he, he you know, he, he chose Patrick first because obviously Patrick is huge. But I'd have put 25 down to get him first. Why not? So what was this the question then? Yes. Yeah, so he did the BBC first, right? We know how that turned out. Um, and then... and then uh, PPC is... Yeah. What's that? Uh, BBC. Oh, BBC. Was, yeah, 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 he did. I think he did. Yeah. And Which is an outrage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there are so many great creators and interviewers, hopefully people think like us, having really world-class conversations. And then there's the fucking BBC. Utter shit journalism. Utter... It's not even journalism. It's but propaganda. It's beautiful, though, that he did that and that he faced that challenge. He didn't back down. He didn't back down for nothing. I truly respect him for that. And I, I even wrote him uh, a message when uh, on WhatsApp. I said, listen, I'm, I'm so happy for you now that you have a case because now at least we can see the evidence. We can see the evidence presented and, you know, we can see the, the, the we can follow the process. Mm -hmm. Before this, there was, there was nothing. Yeah. So, so I actually congratulated him. I said, this is great. You know, so, so yeah. now, and, and he, the way he approaches it with so much, uh, uh, like intelligence and positivity and also like fierce approach towards BBC or, and then when he had that interview after with Patrick Bad David, it was, it was so refreshing. Yeah, it definitely wasn't chalk and chains. So would you, let me ask he you that. He did say, I well, to that. Yeah. Everybody after this, like from, from mainstream uh, media, I want them to bring, what was it? 50K and a box of chocolates. Yeah. And I think it, I think if you're Andrew, I think you can you can do that. Yeah, you know, I I also believe that organically. I think that when you have conversations within our circle, you know, we we don't ask each other for money. To be to be honest with you, no. you know, like I, as you, we have a very strong network. We know very like mutual similar people, um, so we have the same access. Mm. And then I think when you don't have that access, then you're gonna pay. Yeah, so that that's the main thing, right? So see, I got a load of hate for yes. this, which is amazing. Yeah, there was a video on YouTube. It was about 80,000 views at the moment. Yeah. Loads of people just saying, oh, yeah, you know, we love you. Um, Dodge's name is, you're raw, you're honest, even though I didn't think he was being honest. Because I think if Joe Rogan is sat there, he can say, nah, fuck off, I'm not yeah. paying you 20. Of course you're going to, like, he's your god-tier guest. Of course you're going to. I got a load of hate because, you know, I, I had a chip on my shoulder and you, you should you should never pay for guests. Would you pay the right money for the right person? 100%. Fuck it, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? It's a commercial decision. Yeah. It's an opening of doors. If You might be able to pay one person and then that might open the door to a whole network of people you could never reach. Because yeah. really, look, look, you keep saying this on this show. I don't want this close when I paid Rob to be here. My fee is big. My fee is big. Um, but, you know, you keep saying money isn't everything. No, it isn't. You're right. Money is a tool. Yeah. Money is an enabler. It's a door opener. It's an accelerant. So why would I pay? I would pay if I could get a return. I'd pay if I could accelerate my journey. Are you sure on the time? Or I'd pay if I could open some doors. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? 
But the problem is when everyone pays, you know, no one wants to do anything. The, yeah. the difficulty in this industry yeah. is when you get to agents because agents are like, yeah, you know, I can get a, get a nice fee out of this. So, the, you know, they're the, you know, they're the cock blockers uh, in, in a way. I, I have so many really big people who we, we talk a lot on social and we want to get, we want to do work together and then it goes straight to their agent and then their agent just fucking blocks it or, you know, Jordan Peterson, you know, we know him quite well. He was on my show for free and now it's like via his agent, even though we've been promised another show, 150 grand. <laughs> 150 yeah. grand because you know that's what he is now yeah and fair play by the way am i bitching about that no fair play to him if i could charge 150 grand to be on a podcast would i you're damn fucking right why wouldn't i if, if i could attract that kind of value but it's just it's, it's too too risky there's also layers to it forgive you like within our network like we have direct access to certain people i won't disclose any names but like you know, we're we're talking to some people out there where where a normal person would have to pay. You know what I mean? We we can directly get access. But then again, even even like you said, like Jordan that you had personal access to, now even has an agent in between. Well, he's bigger than God yeah. now. That's exactly. the thing. Yeah. When we had him, he go. He, yeah. You, know, he, you get to a certain level, like you said, Joe Joe Rogan. Yeah. Like th that's a level that we, even within our network. We're gonna to have to pay off. Yeah. In fact, he's not even gonna do a podcast. Yeah. You're gonna come on his podcast. You know what I mean? Well, this is the yeah. thing as well. You know, you it, things are more desirable when you can't have them. Yeah. So as much as it's frustrating, it, it's just the game. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I want to touch on because we were uh, out of time. It's lunch time. Uh, yes, exactly. We're gonna get kicked out of Luke's studio. Yeah. Big shout out to Luke. Shouldn't we? A shout out to Luke for letting us. Big shout out, Luke. So we're smoking a cigar next week. We're gonna do a podcast together with Luke as well. Uh, go. So you're going to come here and smoke cigars and chat shit. Exactly. This is what the world seems to want at the moment. Exactly. So last last thing, um, real estate. Um, are you are you investing here in Marbella? Real estate? No. Thinking about it? No. no. Why not? Because I don't know the area. Okay. I, I really you believe... Me to educate you on it? Yeah. I, I mean, look, uh, like I said earlier, I think self-awareness, wisdom if you want to call it that, is knowing what you know and knowing what you don't. Knowing what you're good at, knowing your lane, knowing your skills. Yeah. And, you know, hubris is knowing a little and think, thinking that you know a lot. And here's what I know. The more local you invest in something, the more control you have over it. Management, maintenance, legalities, blah, blah, blah. Prices, sold prices. You get tipped off the best deals first. And we've spent 17 years building that in... Peterborough, which is just outside London, where by now there's essentially three big players in Peterborough who are buying up all the big real estate, and we're one of them. If I come to Marbella, I've got to learn all that shit all over again. And this is the thing that people don't understand about real estate. There are some things that you can learn that's universal. Learning about psychology, learning about interaction and communication and human relationships, this is a global language. Real estate is a local business so i'm not really interested in um going through that continual learning process because you have to lose a bit of money at the start you have to make some mistakes so where the way i've built my business is buy as much local real estate as i can and build a massive empire and then if i want to travel the world and stay in the finest places rent them 
Because here's the thing. We all think, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to live in Cayman? Oh, that's my dream. So I went to Cayman and we rented this like freaking crib and it was beautiful and we loved it. It was like 30 grand back then for what a week or whatever. And by the, by the time we went back the third time, we realized there's fucking nothing to do in Cayman. It's so small. There is nothing to do. But imagine if we'd spent 10 mil, you know, on a crib there or bought a load of real estate there. So I, I like to own locally and have vast amounts of passive income so I can rent globally. That's my plan. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate that. Always a pleasure. So uh, where can people find you? So I have a podcast called Disruptors. Um, I've written a lot of books. Probably the most popular one is called Money. Good to read that before my money book, Money Matrix, comes out. And then on any social, I'm on all socials. Rob Moore. Love it. And by the way, he had amazing guests on as well. The, one of them is Floyd Mayweather recently, I think. Yeah, we've had him twice. Twice. Uh, Tate. Yeah. Uh, Second time coming soon. Watch this space. Going to break the internet. Yeah. I just, I just must yeah. not spar with him when I'm out there. Yeah. Apparently he's beating people up for fun that, like <laughs> taking his anger out on, like yeah. shipping these people I'm in. Still spar with Luke though. Luke, if you're uh, listening. Well, I, I mean, Luke, uh, Luke was covered in bruises from sparring up with Andrew. Like bruises all over his arms. Like, yeah. He looks a big fucker. Yeah. I know. I know. That's, that's, I mean, I like, I like to be challenged. Yeah. So, uh, but thank you so much. And we're going to, let's go and eat. Let's go. Have some lunch.